0: Well, as my uh, time here grows short, I couldn't help but just kind of sit and soak in the singing this morning. It's a great blessing, and uh, it's wonderful for a church to have a worship minister that also is a pretty good preacher, and uh, I heard really good things about Tony's uh, message last week, and one of the things I heard was it was short, too, so (laughs) I don't know what that's like. And uh, and I may be in real trouble this morning because I've crammed two expository sermons into one because I don't have the weeks left to do it all. So just hang on. You're going to want to have a marker in Philippians 3, the passage that was read earlier, and then you're going to want to have your Bible open to Matthew 25. Because Matthew 25 teaches... The message of Philippians 3. If you look at your outline, there's a little statement at the bottom. in the outline's in the bulletin. And I may or may not hit all the blanks right, because I'm going to try to get done in a reasonable amount of time. But at the bottom, there's a statement. I want to discover the grace of God in new and fresh ways every day. I want to be challenged and changed until my will and my way are completely lost in the way and the will of Jesus. And we're going to sing an old, old hymn for an invitation song that says that. And hopefully I'll get back to that statement again a little bit later. But as we did the song service this morning... I was convicted that I was challenged to live what I said on the bottom of this page. There is a a Bible app that had been borrowing our material. And uh, several people had reported it to us, and I was getting lots of email to it uh, from people that were using this Bible app. And so I finally emailed the only email address I had. I received a response back. And mine was a little frosty but gracious. And the response back blew me away. I'm so thankful you contacted us. We tried to reach you. and So Thursday night from 9.30 to 10.30, I chatted with a 25-year-old Christian woman in Beijing, China, that with the help of a friend has put together a Bible app that has 3 million downloads and 300,000 daily users. They're the size of us. And we're going to not legally make them quit using our material, but we're going to partner with them in sharing the gospel. And uh, by God's grace, I hope in January or February to be in Beijing and uh, begin a mentoring relationship with these groups of people as they edumacate me a little bit about a few things too. And so the message we look at today is more important to me now than it was when I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s. But it's a message for every Christian. And it's a message to those of us who have grown up in our heritage. Because it has to do with our view of God. This morning we want to talk about things being surprising. And our Macedonian maturity series is focused on Acts 17, where Paul goes to Macedonia the first time. Acts 16, where we received the call. And then from there, uh, Paul wrote 1 and 2 Thessalonians and the book of Philippians, to people he dearly loved. Now, if you go back to that passage in Philippians 3, I want to point out a couple of things that Paul talks about. Because he talks about he's, he's given up his past way of life. And his past way of life was not an unholy life. He... He was a rabbi. He had dedicated himself to the work of God. He was passionate about it. But once he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he said, I consider everything in my past garbage. My Ph.D. in rabbinic studies. My work for the chief priest in Jerusalem. My notoriety as a passionate Pharisee. I consider those garbage, refuse because I now know Jesus. He said, I, I know now that I don't have a righteousness of my own by the works I've done. But it's a righteousness that comes by faith. And on top of that, I don't think, even though I'm an old geezer, I don't think I've obtained everything I want to obtain. I I, I have not arrived at my goal. And I press on to the upward call of Christ so that I can take hold of of what Christ took hold of me. To produce. And then he says. All of us who are mature. Should take such. A view of things. Now I'm going to just put it in plain old cornbread English. Because that's the best way I know to talk. An older person. That says I won't reconsider something. Because I saw that. Or I studied that 20 years ago. Is an immature Immature, close-minded, opposition leader of the truth. Because Paul says, maturity is knowing I haven't arrived. I haven't settled it. I don't have all the answers. I keep pressing on. I keep trying to grow. I keep risking for the kingdom. I have things Christ wants to do in me. And the day I settle is the day I begin to decay and die. And everybody who's mature has such a view of things. Now, that is challenging. It's challenging. And it has a bite to it. Now, I was blessed to be raised in churches of Christ, and I cut my teeth on the book of Acts. I... I still know a lot of things about the Bible from fourth grade class when we studied the book of Acts with Paul Lang. I thank God for my heritage, I am not a Church of Christ basher. I love the restoration heritage, I love a passion for scripture, I love God's people, I love God's mission, I love God's word, and I learned that from my heritage. Now, do we have some warts in our family, do we have some things We're not always excited about yeah, but I dare you to find a family that doesn't have a few of those things. Jesus wouldn't have had to have the cross as his itinerary if we had everything together. So, one of the things from my heritage was this passage and those of you that are in your late 50s all the way up, you remember this was banged into our head all the time. Now, the Jews were more noble in Berea than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word of God with all eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if the things that were being said were true. Does anybody remember that passage? It was ingrained in us. I mean, we, we didn't have a serial number stamped in our skin, but this was stamped somewhere in our DNA in the Restoration Heritage. And by Restoration Heritage, I mean conservative Christian church and churches of Christ, Bible-believing people. So what we want to realize is being mature in Christ means always being open to fresh water from God's deep well of truth. The Macedonian maturity principle number four, as we've been looking at these, is simply this. We seek God's truth and God's word, and we expect to be surprised by the Holy Spirit revealing something new and fresh that challenges us to grow and change. That's why we read the Bible through each year. Uh, And some of us were talking in the foyer this morning about, uh, because we're reading through the, the Bible and the New Living Translation, and some of the words are a little edgier than we remember in what we've read before. And you go through the story of David, and you see stuff you didn't see before. And you're reminded of things, and you're challenged. And man, wouldn't you like to have some mighty men on your side like David had? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, get caught up on your reading plan. You'll, you'll know where we are. Great stuff. We believe that being open to God means being open to God in Scripture. So sometimes we find stuff that's been there all along that we just missed. It's kind of like what happened to me not quite a year ago. I'd been preaching here a little bit, and I had driven home on a Sunday night, and uh we were trying to decide what to do for supper, and I was tired. Uh, I, most of the time, I don't try to drive from Longview to Dallas on, on Sunday nights because there's lots of crazies on the road, and it's lot, lots of bad traffic. I prefer to go Monday, but I, that night, I went on Sunday night. And Donna said, I don't want to get Taco Bueno tonight. Why don't we go to Wendy's? Now, Taco Bueno was uh, two blocks from the apartment we lived in. And, you know, when you have to keep a physique that is, is ripped as mine, you try to walk as much as possible to kind of keep in shape. And so we would walk to Taco Bueno. And I go, Wendy's? Why Wendy's? Now, part of that is those frosty things I cannot resist, and they don't go with walking. And then I go, where's Wendy's? And Donna looked at me kind of like, duh, did you fall off the truck this morning or something? She goes, it's right across the street from Taco Bueno. <laughs> that's, you turn one direction and that's Bueno. You turn the other direction and that's the Wendy's sign wow. up under the trees. I'd even been there and I forgot. Now I share that because we often do that with the Bible. And when somebody comes along with a new insight from Scripture, our first reaction is, wait, wait a minute, are they here? To, is this true? Should I, should I believe this? Instead of doing the Berean thing and kind of being open to the message, but checking to see if it's true. So rather than dwell on why we haven't noticed an insight in Scripture before, let's just recognize that we got Bueno disease. Now, how many of you followed the draft that are Cowboy fans? Anybody in here follow the draft? Come on, raise your hand. A few of you. So we all hope taco is bueno, right? (laughs) If you don't know what that means, you'll get it later. That's their first draft pick. But a lot of us have taco bueno disease. Except what's across the street may not be Wendy's. It may be the best steakhouse in East Texas. And we miss it because we're resistant to re-examining our positions. And unlike Paul, who realized he hadn't arrived, we, we defend where we are rather than being open to where the Holy Spirit's calling us. So let's give thanks for the Holy Spirit that inspired this message, but as 1 Corinthians 2 says, is in us to help us understand the message he, he gave us. The Word of God is living and active because, not because it contains the Holy Spirit, but because the Holy Spirit uses it as His scalpel to reach into our hearts and change us. And so we want to be open to the power of Scripture to be fresh every time we pick it up. Remember the, in the middle of the book of Lamentations where it's gloom and doom and awful, and in the middle of it, Jeremiah says, The steadfast love Of the Lord never ceases. His mercies. Even in this disaster. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness O God. Even in the midst of this disaster. Great is your faithfulness. And then it ends by saying. The Lord is my portion. And my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Because the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, then we can have something fresh and new every morning. And as we do, we listen for the voice of Jesus behind the message. Now, you've heard me say once or twice that when when I approach the Word of God and I read it, I want to ask some questions and ask for the Holy Spirit's help. And I say, God, what do you want me to know today from this? God, what do you want me to feel in response to what I've learned? And God, help the Holy Spirit help me do what I've learned. They're new every morning. So, to help us kind of get a feel for this, I want us to go to Matthew 25. And I'm going to share with you an experience I had built around Matthew 25. And we're going to read it. This is the parable that we call the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants to him and entrusted them with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to that person's ability. Then the owner went on his journey, the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags, so also the one with two bags of gold who gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled his accounts with each of them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted five bags of gold with me. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came. He said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Oh, sweet story, isn't it? It's a good story until this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. It it belongs To you, his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with a banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with some interest. So take the bag of gold from him Give it to the one that has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yowzer. Pretty salty parable, huh? Pretty sobering words. Well, I grew up all my life hearing that this was a parable about using our talents. I even preached that. And clearly that's the background and that's the assumption of the parable. But that's not the point of the parable. When I came to this passage in the past. I stopped at Taco Bueno. I didn't realize that the steakhouse was on the other side of the street. And I got so used to having a Taco Bell grande. No, don't eat at Taco Bell. I had a Taco Bueno real meat taco with those mega nachos because it's good for walking shape. And I didn't miss I didn't know I was missing medium-rare piece of incredible dead cow across the street with a baked potato slathered with butter and sour cream and chives and bacon. You hungry yet? And a good salad and some coconut cream pie for dessert. I missed all that because I stopped at Taco Bueno and I didn't listen then a friend of mine who is not theologically trained is not a preacher he wrote a little short article on this parable for Heartlight parent magazine a verse of the day the stuff that I kinda coordinate and he pointed out something and when I read it I go Lord Jesus I am sorry for stopping at Taco Bueno when you wanted to give me a steak, and I realize now that this parable, the primary message is not about using our talents. That's the assumption. What he shared that day blew me away because it was the primary message of the parable, and I had missed it. Jesus wants us to use our talents, our spiritual gifts the things that he's developed in us, that's understood in this story. But there's a deeper message. And it's a message that Jesus judges those who play it safe and rewards those who take risk for the kingdom. And part of the reason I think I never heard it preached that way is because I was part of the guilty party you see I grew up on the gopher wood in strange fire arguments and if you don't know what those are that's fine but a lot of folks do and we were made to be afraid that God is always looking and if we transgress on one little thing bam we've lost it we're damned for hell and we have no hope, and so we've got to be very, very careful. And so we became a group that played it safe on everything, and, and that played into the personality. But when you listen to the parable, notice who Jesus condemns with such harsh words. It's the one who wouldn't take a risk. And who had a, a view of of the master is miserly and looking to punish and looking to catch in a mistake. And so he was so afraid, that's the word Jesus said, and lazy, he didn't do anything but buried it to keep it safe and play it safe. And this is what Jesus tells us. And this is how God will treat so harshly those who view him as a harsh God looking to catch us in a mistake. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you thought you knew I would harvest where I didn't plant. And you thought that I would ask for a harvest of seed that I didn't sow. Now is that the God we know from Scripture? That was patient? Yeah, no, that's not the God we know from Scripture, is it? Because He's gracious and good, right? And He gives us so many rich and precious things. And in case all this love and patience with Israel all throughout the Old Testament that we're reading about now in the Bible is lost on us, He sent Jesus to say, this is how much I love you. And this is how much I'll be willing to risk to save you. Because I'm going to still give you the option of whether or not to believe or not believe, even though my son is going to be your sacrifice. I'm not going to make you accept him. I'm going to risk his life for your faith. That's the kind of God I am, because I want to reclaim you. And then in case we miss it, Paul comes along and says, if, if he who was, was uh, not willing to spare his own son to save us, how much more will he not also give us all things in Christ now that we belong to him? That's from Romans 8. So the master says, well, you, you, you at least should have put my money in the bank and gotten a little interest. But since you viewed me so harshly, And you didn't understand my graciousness to you. Take take your stuff here and you give it to that guy there. Because I know he knows me. And he'll put it to use. You see, no, no matter how much religion we have. We have nothing of eternal value. If we have a stingy God looking to pull back his grace at every misstep. Looking to pull back his grace at every mistake or failure. He's looking for folks that are willing to take risk to grow the kingdom. Because that's what he did. Because our God, the Lord God, is not that stingy kind of God. God wants us to not be stingy or afraid or lazy now clearly jesus isn't teaching us to be reckless and that's not what i'm advocating he's not teaching us to be reckless he is teaching us to take some risk but the real question is where's the difference between taking risk and being reckless where's where's the balance how do we find that balance of of taking risk of faith for jesus and 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 not being reckless or stupid or blind i mean isn't that the question How do we find that balance? Well, let me tell you, and and I know we've got a guest or two this morning that hadn't been to church much. And we hope you'll stay for Bible class and meet some of these sweet, precious people. They've been so good to me over the last year, so I hope you'll stay. But let me tell you a secret. In any Bible class or in any small group, if you're not sure of the answer, just say, Jesus. Jesus. Because kind of like the old uh, gospel group, the Jesse Dixon singers, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above Him, it, there is no other. Jesus is the way. So if you have a if you have a question and you don't know what the answer to, it, you just say Jesus, because after all, He's the Lord. So where's the balance between risky and reckless? And it, and it's Jesus. How did Jesus handle it? Well, I like to call the apostles a collection of loose lug nuts. I mean, isn't that right? What we see in the Gospels, those guys are clueless half the time. And they've seen him do miracles. I mean, Clint, if you saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead, it'd kind of make faith a little different, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd make life exciting. If, if you saw him turn water to wine, the very first thing he did, that'd be incredible. If, if you saw him reach out to that little girl that was dead and take her by the hand and say, Talitha Kumi, and she rises from the dead. Or you saw Lazarus come from the tomb when his body was already stinking. Or you saw him put mud on the eyes of a blind man and all of a sudden he could see... You would think you'd get it a little quicker. But they didn't get it quickly. And they didn't have a slip-up or a goober. They just went over the cliff. When he told them he's about to suffer and they couldn't stay awake. And when he's arrested, ten of them run away and hide. And one of them betrays him and his lead guy denies him. Jesus demonstrates God's grace with goof-ups, with boneheaded disciples. And that means that there's room for you and me, because I'm a loose lug nut about half the time. And in their failures, Jesus did confront them lovingly, but he didn't tongue-lash them, and he didn't give up on them, and he didn't boot them out of his squad, and he didn't damn them to hell for all their mess-ups because he knew that if they ever got a glimpse of what grace was, they would turn the world upside down, which is what's said about them in Acts 17. So what Paul said in Philippians about that attitude of those who are mature are the ones that realize they haven't arrived yet, That's what Jesus demonstrates. And that's what Jesus is teaching. And Paul puts the exclamation mark on what Jesus is saying in this passage. By saying, hey... I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His rising. I want to share in His suffering. I want to be conformed to His death so that somehow I can attain for the resurrection of the dead. And I'm not resting on the stuff I learned in the past, but I'm moving forward. I'm going to the upward call of God because God is not through with me yet. He's got plans for me. He's at work in me. The Holy Spirit is conforming me to Jesus and I am never, ever, ever going to say, I have arrived. I'm never, ever going to say that I have got it all settled or figured out. I'm never going to tell a younger person or an older person or an in in-between person, you can't call me to re-examine this because I settled that 20 years ago. Because that is a statement of immaturity. If the Holy Spirit brings this fresh water from the wells of grace every day, if they're new every morning... I don't want to miss it. And nobody was more set in his ways or stubborn than the Apostle Paul who supervised the death of Stephen, who was absolutely convinced that Jesus was a blasphemer. He could quote the Scriptures why Jesus should have been killed. And then he met him on the road to Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he saw better in his blindness than he had ever seen before. And a guy named Ananias risked his life to share the message of Jesus. And once Jesus received that message, he knew he didn't deserve any of the grace he got. The grace that God lavished on him. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. But God lavished on me this grace so that I could share it with others. So that they could know. I know this is true about most people in this church that we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the message of Scripture, and we're going to live by that Scripture. And we're going to be called to live the message of Jesus as it's demonstrated in Scripture and taught by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if that's true, there will never be a day I draw breath on this earth that the Lord doesn't have something to teach me and to work on me to conform me to be more like Jesus. That's the call. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they can be new every morning if I will allow them to be. I don't know what your story is going to end with other than you'll have a last breath and a last heartbeat. But I do know that if we're willing to be a person and a people that will risk for the kingdom, these are the words that are in our future. Well, done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Ah, now I'm going to entrust you with great stuff. Come and share in your master's happiness. You see, God is not a stingy God. He didn't withhold anything that was of value in heaven that could be leveraged to touch your heart and let you know he's got plans for you. And those plans don't stop and they don't end when you end your breath and your heart quits beat. He wants you to enjoy his joy, to be happy with his happiness, to share in the reward that he longs to give. So I'm going to tell everybody here today that hasn't heard the words that Paul heard, the words that forever changed his life, that Jesus died for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He now lives, and you've seen him, and he's calling you to follow him. So there's only thing left, one thing left to do if you believe. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord and you can join the group called the risky disciples with a gracious father and if that's the god you need that's the god scripture teaches and we invite you to come share in your master's happiness this morning as we stand and sing